We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 uh, today, we, um, the first 12 verses, and we'll get to that momentarily. It was, it was George Arthur Buttrick. George Arthur Buttrick. I think we have a quote from him, Nicholas. If not, yeah, there it is. He said this. He said, preaching is proclamation, God's word revealed in Jesus, but only when it is embedded in a listening ear, in a responding tongue, does it become gospel. Hold that thought for a moment. It's also uh, Fred Craddock, one of my favorite preachers. Uh, he, he had a, a first rule of preaching. Actually, he had several first rules of preaching, but, which is odd, but... One of them was know your audience, know your audience. And so I think that with what Dr. Buttrick was saying here, those coincide a bit. And this listening ear, this responding tongue, and what that has to do with really our entire um, worship together. See, what this hour is together, and it's so fun when we have guests But what this hour is together is just another part of what is 168 hours in a week that the Church of Harpathites is following and being formed by Jesus and being sent, as Susan just said. And so, yes, we are re-energized here. But what we do throughout the week also informs how we come together and particularly how whoever is preaching and bringing forth God's Word for us in a particular week, how that is shaped prayed over and how it comes forth. Now, it's been almost 15 months since really everything changed. It's funny, I was watching the Jazz and the Grizzlies last night play in the NBA playoffs, and it it, it jogged my memory that it was on March 11th last year that it was the Utah Jazz on TV, and their center, Rudy Gobert, had tested positive for COVID. And that was really for, for me, I think, and for our family, the moment where we really saw that everything was different. It would be different. And we had no idea how different it would be. But here we are 15 months later, and, and we're still, you know, moving through this peculiar time. And, and folks uh, like me, uh, women and men who, who preach and teach regularly, um, our lives were changed quite a bit. During that time, I've told those of you who will listen to me, and I think it's just a hilarious joke, so I crack it way too often. I tell you that I became quickly a televangelist <laughs> without all the cash. But I was all of a sudden on video trying to stay in touch because we, out of an abundance of caution, all of us, we chose to, to not be around each other for a while. Uh, save video mediums, which were really cool for a while. I remember very fondly some of those first staff meetings on Zoom during those months, but it got old pretty quickly. And I think we've all realized that it falls short, those mediums fall short of in-person gathering together, not just for this hour on Sunday morning, but throughout the whole week that we can get together. I was having lunch with one of you uh, a week and a half ago. And I left with so much gratitude for the conversation that we had, yes, but also just for the fact that we were able to get together and to do something like that again. Because we are made to embody Jesus in the world. We are set apart as the body of Christ. That's what the church is. 
And we are made to interact with one another in such a way. And to embody Jesus is to live out and about. It's to get in a bus and drive 12 hours? Ish. To be together with other like-minded folks. And it's in that context that we find our text this morning in Luke chapter 10. So we're going to journey through the first 12 verses together over the next few moments. I'll stop a bit along the way. Let's look at verse 1 together. Text says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Let's stop right there for a moment. Back in Genesis chapter 10, we find uh, 70 descendants of Noah and Noah's three sons. That's what Genesis chapter 10 is. And what it is, is it lists these 70. Now, I know our text in the CSB that we use says 72. 70, 72, translations say both. The 70 is the Greek text. 72 is from the Hebrew text. We're not sure, but it's okay. It's okay. It's either 70 or 72. But in Genesis 10, it was 70 descendants of Noah and his three sons. And what this it was is it set them in different geographical locations that became those the, the geographical locations where the story of God unfolds, the story of God that we find in the Bible. And that is the text that should come to our mind, I believe, when we see what Jesus is doing here in Luke chapter 10 with these 70 folks and the pairs that are being sent out. Now, this reminds me of a few months ago, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but I used, because, you know, I think I'm a brilliant, you know, preacher, and so I drew on, it was a joke, um, I drew on Downton Abbey and the movie that came out a couple of years ago, because that's, I think it's the last movie that Leslie Ann and I saw, although I noticed that some people are starting to go to the theaters again, which really excites me. Anyway. And it was in this movie that they welcomed the family at Downton, welcomed the king and the queen to come for dinner, which is essentially what is is going on here. Jesus is sending out these pairs, these messengers, to proclaim that the king is coming. In fact, the king has already come. And Jesus is sending them out in pairs. Now, We skipped these 12 verses when we went through Luke for the first five months, four months of of the year. And so I just had to go back to it today because this is the moment, if you'll remember, when we stopped in chapter 9, where Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and and he desires and wills to go all the way till he will meet his accusers, till he will meet his killers and he will not be deterred until he gets there. But the messengers we see in chapter 10 go before him and they were given a message to share and they were given instructions for how to go about their work. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. To send out Workers, So, yeah, let's not miss the picture right in front of us. We have this really 
good youth choir that's come all the way from Texas. Hey guys, when I was uh, 19, 20, probably 20, I was a student uh, here in Nashville at Belmont University. And because I grew up about 40 minutes from Nashville, I, was, I would go home occasionally. Not as much as my mother thought I should, but I did go home one weekend, I remember specifically, and we still had Sunday night church then. And uh, the worship service that evening, my dad was a preacher as well, and we had a youth choir that had come into town from Chattanooga. And I remember this night as well as any uh, nights of worship in my life because a couple of things happened to me that night. First of all, this was 1999 or the year 2000. And so my experience with, with music up to that point in my life, I was from a small farm town, I've told you guys, and I didn't, I, I didn't have much experience with contemporary Christian music. I, most of my experience was with country music, which was fine, but I had not heard, other than the beautiful hymns that I learned growing up and the way that we sang them in the church I grew up in with a piano and an organ, uh, I hadn't been exposed to this very much until that night. I hadn't heard the gospel put to music that moved me in the ways that, quite frankly, I was moved this morning. But that night was different. And I remember the youth choir leading and being moved to tears, being overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And I will never forget that feeling. It felt much the same this morning, although not as new this morning. Now, the second thing that happened to me that, that night was that I felt an undeniable urge to do with my life what I heard the youth minister with the youth choir say, the testimony he gave as to why the youth choir was there at all. That they were seeking to proclaim the gospel in the most beautiful way they knew how. And man, they sure did. And I remember leaving that night thinking, I want to do that. Now, I'd been a Christian for 10 years since I was eight years old, you know, or a little over 10 years. And I knew we were supposed to proclaim the gospel. That had been taught to me. I knew that. But I didn't know until that night that it could be fun to do that. I didn't. I didn't know until that night that I could actually be swept up into God's presence while telling someone about God. I saw it on many of your faces as I watched you lead us in worship this morning. You're either really good at faking it or you're feeling a little bit of what I'm proclaiming. I have only seen a handful of drummers in my life sing along. Way to go. I don't know where you went. You're not there anymore. But <laughs> I was moved that night and I wanted to do what I understood the youth choir was there doing. Even though the workers are few, verse 2 claims, I still wanted to be one of those workers, to be sent out with this message. And, and so much of what we are doing here together, church at Harpeth Heights, so much of what we are doing here uh, is imagining how this is true for each of us individually. That's what our disciples making disciples strategy is about, that each of us would be someone on mission within our groups to not only care, grow, and equip together, but also to take this message out into our community, which is by and large not in this room this morning or connected with our church or any church 
at all this morning. The harvest is absolutely plentiful. We are called to do this as individuals, but even more so, we're called to do this collectively as a church, just like this youth choir is called to do what they are doing collectively at their church as a choir. We're not a club. What we're doing here together is not the end, that we just exist to be a part of the church at Harpeth Heights. We're not a club. We're gathered here to be sent out. This gathering is a means to an end. I love the quote Oksana read. Missions is terminal. There will be a time where it won't be. Praise God. But worship is eternal. We are sent out to proclaim this about worship, to proclaim the gospel in the most beautiful way we possibly can. Verse 3. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a, if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we're wiping off even the dust of your town. It clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. May God add God's blessing to the reading, God's word. Now, it was around 2012, guys, that I was a student minister at the time at a different church, and we were taking a a mission tour, much like you're doing, to Washington, D.C. And we were actually staying in Alexandria, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. We were staying in a Hampton Inn there, which is, I assume y'all are staying in a hotel now, it wasn't too long before that that we, we used to stay in host homes. I don't know if you've gotten to be a part of that, but that was, a, that was you know, that was, that was out there. But that's what we did, or we slept on gym floors or whatever. Some of you will, will know this, so be, be grateful for your hotel room. Because it, be it could be less comfy. Uh, it was actually that year that we allowed, we welcomed a youth choir coming through Nashville at the church I was serving in at the time, and they slept in our gym, actually, that year. And three of the guys woke up in the middle of the night and decided to cook a Totino's pizza. Yeah. And no, no, Marty, because they burned the gym down. I don't think they meant to. I mean, it just didn't go right. You know, those pizzas can be tricky. But it's a parking lot now. So that wasn't in my notes, but I thought I'd share that story with you. Um. It was on this trip in D.C. that we were staying in the Hampton Inn, and what came through the night, the first night we were there was called a derecho, which we actually had a derecho here in Nashville a year ago. Terribly powerful storm came through. And y'all, we were left without power in that Hampton Inn for three days. Three days. The waffle maker would not work. (laughs) For three whole days. We could have used some of this hospitality Some of those host homes that Jesus is talking about here in our passage. 
I say it every week during our benediction. I say we are loved, sent, and never alone. And the sent part of that is pretty simple. And Jesus is giving some instructions for this. That yes, they apply more directly to the time in which he was giving them, to the more agrarian first century um, Galilee, you know, culture that existed, but they still apply to us. Now, the overriding theme here is hospitality and for us to be able to recognize it in one another and more importantly, to extend it to one another. And I hope you guys experienced that along your way this week. I hope you've experienced it this morning from us because it was our job to extend that to you. It's our job to extend that to one another and particularly to those who don't yet abide in Christ. As we say, we do. But yeah, we're called to, to go out, to disperse, to go out into our everyday lives in all the ordinariness that we engross ourselves in that comprises our days. And we do exactly as those who Jesus has sent out in our passage. And what is the ultimate call? It's in verse 9. Jesus says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, we talk a lot about gospel conversations, and we, and we should. I'm proud that we do. I'll remind you how we define those. It's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, those who are searching, and trusting the Holy Spirit with the result. And here we see very clearly in verse 9 what should comprise those gospel conversations, at least eventually, that we should be about healing the sick, healing one another, and that our proclamation should be that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, let's deal with the healing part of that first. You're created to be a whole person. Did you know that? Do you know that each of us is created to be whole, unbroken, unblemished, at peace? But in the world as it is, we are very much broken. We are very much blemished. We are very much not at peace. And the way that we embody this, the way that we help to bring about healing through the Holy Spirit that's, that's working through us, is that we live into this through Jesus Christ, who is amongst us. We are never alone. And here we are encouraged by the truth that Jesus has come near in the kingdom coming near. Now, coming off of a year where we really did not come near to each other at all, I find this news really, really hopeful. And it always has been hopeful ever since Jesus sent out these 70. Our definition for gospel conversations suggests that we trust the Holy Spirit with the results. It's an important sentence that we remind ourselves. Notice that Jesus gives the same instructions for the homes that received the mess for the for the messengers, whether they went to a home that received them or a home which did not receive them. And here's what I mean by that. I know it was slightly different, but we see in chapter nine, right before this, an encounter where Jesus had sent out the disciples early in chapter nine in pairs. And the descending out, the sending out of the other disciples here in chapter 10 was alluded to in chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus and James and John were actually traveling and going through a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village, because they didn't get along with the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't play nice together in the sandbox at all. The, the village said, no, you can't come through here. And James and John said, Jesus, they're, you know, 
disrespecting us like that? Should we rain down fire on them and, and, and essentially destroy them? And Jesus said, no. We'll just walk around. Peace be on them as well. They're obviously not ready to hear it right now. We won't force the issue. That's trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. We just sang it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You know, what happened to me that night? I'm convinced in my little farm town church when that youth choir came through because a couple of the adults in their church told them they were coming through there and singing was a very important moment in my life. But it wasn't the only moment. There were thousands of little moments leading up to that. And that was one of the markers, one of the tipping point moments in my life. We never know when those moments are. The way that we're sent out is, is a lot less like the end of any movie we might like when everything comes to a head and just is perfect and a lot more like God working even when we don't see it or feel it. But we trust that God is. I encourage you to trust that God is in all that you do this week. And you may not see any fruit. I hope you do. But you may not. But we know that the fruit is coming. This is what Jesus is telling us in how he's explaining for these messengers to go out. This was huge for me to realize this. It took the pressure off somebody that knew I was supposed to minister but didn't always see results but we can trust that God is working. We just have to be faithful. We've got to share. We've got to live into being sent. We've got to do what the messengers are told to do here. Be hospitable. Work for people's wholeness. Healing. And tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. To tell them that Jesus is in fact near. That's sharing the gospel. Share the gospel. Don't be weird about it. Heal the sick, Jesus said. <laughs> Proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Do you feel that the kingdom of God is near this morning? Do you feel close with Jesus? I, students, I mean... My dad is a good dude. The church I grew up in is a good church. And when I was your age, I still thought God was up in the sky somewhere just waiting for me to mess up and get me. That's what I understood God to be like. And some of us in this room, we still slip into understanding that's what God is like. And it's just not true. It's just not true. If that is your understanding of God this morning, I am so sorry that somebody didn't explain Jesus to you. Because it's not even close to what the gospel is. Heal the sick. Proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love and make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from God's love or make God love us less. This is the truth that we abide in in Christ. This is the message that the messengers were sent out 
to proclaim. And I'm hopeful this morning through the testimony of this youth choir and through the working out of our faith together, Church at Harpeth Heights, that we can be about this message. And we can see those who do not yet follow and who are not yet being formed by Jesus come to do so with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. May it be so this morning. Let's pray.